Can I get a woo? <laughs> hey, good morning, everyone. I am totally pumped this morning. Let's say hello to all of our friends who are meeting next door in the family room over there. Give them a big wave. They can see you right now. Good things are happening. I, I, I cannot sit still when the band is playing like they did this morning. I mean, this was absolutely crazy. With Matt had his thing going on the, and the feet, and Sarah had her thing going on, you know, and doing this. Big smile on your face and the hands raised. And I don't know if you noticed, but Jameson completely disassembled and put his drum kit back together and lit himself on fire in the middle of that thing. My goodness. It was insane. It was crazy. Actually, I think what just happened over the last few minutes over here is, uh, is, very, uh, is, is very appropriate for Romans chapter 8, where we're going to be today. And so we're going to take a dive into that. Uh, if you want, you can uh, use the Bibles that are on the row uh, next to you, and we'll put the, the page number up there so you can find it easy. Romans 8 is at the end, uh, towards the end of your Bible. Uh, we've been going through a series here in the book of Romans, and uh, we're going to wrap up this part of the series in Romans chapter 8, which, uh, as I said a few weeks ago, is one of my uh, favorite parts in all of Scripture. Romans is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to his friends. He's introducing himself uh, to the Roman uh, Jesus followers on his way to a mission trip. He's hoping he can stop by and see them on the way, and he, and he talks about uh, the ebbing and flowing of life with Jesus. Now, I am, I, I'm going to try to calm myself down. I, I, I have so much caffeine going through my body right now. It's just not... It's, it's just so insane. I, I, I have little sleep over the last few days. This room has been full of people for the Global Leadership Summit. We had over 600 people here. It's the largest crowd we've ever had, 100 people more than last year. We had twice as many volunteers this year for Global Leadership Summit. And then we had Summit Underground. So we had people in backyards, around bonfires and front yards, and, and in pubs, and in restaurants, and in wine bars, and, and in theaters. And we had concerts and comedy nights. And it has just been a whirlwind tour over the last few days. And so <sighs> it just feels like that. Uh, I love that. Okay. A couple of unsung heroes over the last couple of days that I want to, I want to recognize. Uh, one is Mr. John Norris. He's not here right now, but give him a round of applause and I will tell him how much you love him. He takes care of all of our facilities and he makes sure that, you know, thousands of people are on this campus every single week and he makes sure that's all going well. Global Leadership Summit, you know, we interrupted his schedule. He already has enough on his plate, interrupted his schedule and they, he and his team completely changed this auditorium. They tore it all down. All the chairs were facing a different direction. Bannon, you know, wasn't here. None of this was here. And then uh, we told them that, that we wanted it back in the round for our final week of this series. And so they put it all back. And next week they're going to take it all back down again. So it's just, I, I love those guys. And then the other unsung hero, I think, uh, all the time, uh, especially but uh, in a week like this, is John Lee and his team leading our tech teams back there because they do an amazing job. And I'd love to... Uh, recognize them for what they did. Okay, so uh, we probably had ample time to get to Romans chapter 8. If you want to read along, we're going to put it up on the screen, and uh, we're going to read what this says here. Now, I'm backing up a few verses. Brad touched on this last week, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I want to stop for a minute and remind us if, if we were here last week, and if you weren't here last week, well, this might be the first time you're hearing this, and I recommend that you go back and you listen to 
to Brad's message. It was fantastic. But he said, make sure that you don't 828 somebody. And that was a little buzzword that says, you know, as Jesus followers, it's never a good idea when somebody is in the midst of their deepest, darkest pain to just put your arm around their shoulder and say, hey, everything's going to be okay. All things work together for good for those who love God. It doesn't make sense in those moments. The concept of good in the Bible means that we are becoming more like Jesus. We're, be, we're, we're getting drawn closer to Jesus. We're falling more in love with Jesus. And, and that stuff never ha- helps when we just do that like it's some kind of a spiritual band-aid. It's like handing them a, a Hallmark card and asking them to read it in the middle of them vomiting. It just doesn't, it doesn't work. And so Brad warned us about that and go back and listen to that message. Uh, I think that'd be fantastic. And then this, it goes on to say this, uh, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And just briefly, uh, these words are saying that God is always in pursuit of us. He always has been. He always will be. He's the hound of heaven. He is on our trail. He is following us. He He loves us. He wants to be in relationship with us. We are the first thing on his mind. Uh, God is fully present with us. If you ever wonder, yes, thank you, Kevin. If you're ever wondering where, where God is, he's fully present. If you've ever talked to somebody like, like your spouse and they, they give you one of these things, I, I need you here. I need you to be fully present with me. Or if you've done that to your kids, you don't have to do that with God. You don't have to call him down. You don't have to say some magic incantation. You don't have to ask his presence to rain down on you and beg him to be there. God is always ready, willing, able. He's always listening. He's always always fully present. And that's what Paul is saying in these words right here. He has always been with us. What then shall we say in response to these things? I mean, it should cause us to do something, right? I mean, all of this good news that we've been reading about. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, all of these things that we see going on in the world around us. Now, as it's written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's kind of a weird right in the middle of this thing, a little hiccup, and we're going to come back to it. Uh, But Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And remember that. If you remember nothing else today, remember the phrase more than conquerors. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love this end of chapter 8. 
Throughout this whole thing, we've been, uh, this whole series we're in here, we've been talking about broken relationships and, and the concept of shalom and God putting things back together, uh, wholeness, the concept of wholeness, the fact that Paul says we don't have to live as slaves uh, to sin, we don't have to be in bondage to sin, that sin is not our boss, that, uh, you know, the devil's not making us uh, do anything. And Brad, in a wonderful moment a few weeks ago, pulled out a ukulele and sang a song about that, and in the middle of it, he screamed, you're not the boss of me! which was startling and incredibly awesome at the same time. We learned that we all serve someone. We learned that sin is a terrorist, but there's power in confession. We learned that that Jesus promises us that there's no condemnation uh, coming from him. Like he's not, he's not handing out condemnation when he meets us. He he's, does something completely different with us, and he invites us into life in his spirit. We talked about that. We talked about freedom. Uh, we talked about redemption. We talked about the power of prayer, and we talked about a lot of painful things. And I love the honesty of Romans. And I, I, I promise you, and we promise you, that we will always do our absolute best in this environment and in, in, in everything that we do here at Lakeside to be completely honest, to not sugarcoat things, to not 828 people, to be able to talk about real things like, like pain and, and frustration and agony and hurt and, 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 and broken relationship. And, uh, because Paul does that. Jesus did that. You know, we're not supposed to live just as shiny, happy people. Remember the R.E.M. song? Great song, you know, it's like fantastic song. But, you know, God doesn't say that life with him is always that. I mean, yeah, there's joy and he gives us perspective and he wants to, he wants to help us to understand and, and uh, to experience this victory that Paul is talking about, this life that he's invited us into. But the, but the Bible is also very, very clear that, that life is like a symphony. And, and Paul says it in his letter. It has these ups and downs. It's, it has the choruses. We have to keep being reminded of the beautiful choruses and coming back to them. But there's parts of the song, too, that are pretty intense, right? It, it's like Stairway to Heaven. You know, it's got different movements. Or it's like Bohemian Rhapsody, right? It's got the mama just killed and it's got it's all over the place right and that's how life is uh that is how life is and and god understands that one of the things that i've always appreciated about uh, you know we mentioned the band here today playing is uh is their honesty like i i I see them playing and and singing and and worshiping god uh, through music and i believe it i believe it because i believe that they believe what they're saying and I think that that's super important. That's a, that's a big thing uh, throughout Scripture, uh, that, that God wants that kind of honesty uh, from us. I'm going to read a story for us out of John chapter 8 to kind of uh, put some things in perspective uh, for us a little bit. And I, I just want you to be able to, uh, to listen to this story, if I can find where I'm at here. John chapter 8. Just talk amongst yourselves for a moment. All right, here we go. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. This is part of what Jesus did. This was his modus operandi. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who was caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group, and Jesus said, 
or they said to Jesus, rather, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down. And he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, which I think is pretty funny. They had lived a longer life, right? (laughs) Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. And Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. This is so beautiful. I love this. God fully present. God in a skin suit in the person of Jesus. He's fully present. He looks her right in the eyes and he says, seriously, is anybody around here going to take you down? Do you have to live under the weight of this? No. I'm not going to condemn you. And then he encourages her, though, to leave this life behind and to make a change. Like, there's change. Like, God wants us to change. We come to him as, you know, as ridiculous as we are, messed up, broken, dilapidated, bruised, hurt, stinky, smelly, dirty. We come to him just as we are. And then life is a process with Jesus of, yeah, of course he wants to clean us up. Of course he wants to make things different. But he doesn't condemn us. He doesn't always wave his crooked finger in our face. Now, I love this story because it brings up so many questions for me. I mean, I I read these stories, and I have a whole list of questions. And and other people have these questions about this story, too. And if you've ever read this, maybe you have some of the same questions. Like, for instance, uh, these guys, guys, caught her in the act of adultery. What was going on there? Is it possible that... The other person that was involved in this transaction is the one who hauled her into the room? Yeah, it's quite possible. Is it possible that he was right there ready to accuse her? Yeah, it's quite possible. And if not, where is that dude? And why are they not angry at him? Adultery was against the law, not... Not just adulterous women. It takes two to tango. Where was this guy? He wasn't there. That blows my mind. Here's some other questions that I have. Jesus is down on the ground and he's writing with his finger. What's he writing? Nobody knows. It's one of the first questions I'm going to ask him when I see him face to face. I'm just curious why you were writing on the ground. And, and, and a bunch of people over the years have suggested different things. Like maybe Jesus was writing the names of all of the guys who had done the exact same thing they were accusing her of. Could you imagine that? Oh, I wonder what Jesus was writing. Oh, 
It's my name. Maybe he was writing scripture. Who knows? Maybe he was reminding them and giving them a word picture that the, the law of Moses that they were talking about and trying to, to trap him with was written by the very finger of God. And maybe he's giving them a picture of what that looked like. And God and the person of Jesus is down on his knees writing with his finger. He's like, I know the law. I know the law, buddy. Man, they're trying to trap him. I love how these things go down in Scripture where these guys go, we're going to get him this time. Oh, my gosh, we've got to get, we got a zinger. Here we go. We're going to ask him this, and if he chooses A, then we got him. And if he chooses B, then we got him. And Jesus says, guess what? There's a C. Ha, ha, you're all duped. Sucker punch. And they never see it coming. And they all walk away. I, I think it's a beautiful story. Now, how did, how did stoning happen in this day and age? And how does it still, unfortunately, happen in some uh, places in the world? Oftentimes, uh, they would put somebody into uh, the middle of a space that was, uh, that was set down uh, below like a, like a kind of a dip in the earth, and they would roll stones on top of them, and they would crush them. Or they would, or they would uh, not just you know, throw stones at them, that they would put them over the side of a hill, and they would roll things over on those people. It was just horrendous. It was brutal. It was a brutal way to murder someone. I can't imagine what this woman must have been thinking when she thinks that she's going to be put in that situation. Jesus, at at one point in Scripture, actually, the Bible says that they they took him out to the edge of town. They tried to push him over a cliff. It wasn't wasn't a big cliff. It wasn't like a lemming. They They weren't trying to toss him off of a cliff. They were trying to get him down a hill so they could stone him, so they could hurl rocks at him. I wonder what she must have been thinking. And I read through this and I go, wow, what a great picture that not only did Jesus stop the stoning, but he stopped the idea that she would be crushed beneath the weight of her sin. And this is what we should have in our mind when we go to a passage like Romans chapter 8. This is the picture that we should have, this fully present straightened up, calm, cool, collected, just wrote in the dust with the finger of God, Jesus, looking at us in the face and saying, look it, I want you to experience victory. I want you to experience something different than you have experienced. I want you to know that victory is a sure thing, that I, I, I won the victory. I took care of your past. That I can give you victory in the present. That the future, your future can be full of victory when you walk with me. I had a youth pastor when I was growing up who always put his arm around me and he said, Buddy, isn't it great that we know the end of the story? You and I, we know the end of the story. And those words would always give me such encouragement. Now, when Paul talks about victory, he uses this phrase, more than conquerors. And this phrase is not unique to the Bible. This is a phrase that uh, Greek writers and stories would use outside of the Bible. And, you, and you, you can look up these Greek stories. You can hear about this kind of victory. This more than conquerors kind of victory is this word picture. And I think it is absolutely amazing. It's fantastic. Uh, imagine that you're out on the battlefield and the army's coming against you and you're armed with just a sword and you're taking them down, 
right and left. You're just winning this battle. They're not going to take you down. And then that's not the end. After all of your enemies are slain and they're lying there dead, they rise from the dead. Ah. Oh, you want me to do that again? (laughs) Ah. They rise from the dead and they begin to serve you. This is the phrase that's used. This is the picture that was written in other parts of antiquity and other Greek writings. Could you imagine that kind of victory? That it's, it's can any mortal possibly experience this kind of victory? That's the phrase that Paul is using when he's talking to his friends. More than conquerors, hyper conquerors, all of those things that have happened in the past that seek to destroy you and crush you under their weight. Those things... Jesus is going to take care of, and they are going to rise up to serve you. They're going to rise up to serve him. Man, I love that picture. I love victory. I love winning. I'm highly competitive to a fault, I am sure. Um, I love to play by the rules. Like you, my family doesn't like playing board games with me anymore. They just don't do it. I just, I, I, don't like the, I don't like the cheating. We play by the rules. I want to win fair and square, and I want to win big. It, it's just, it's, it's, it's a problem. It's a problem I have. When my son uh, started playing soccer when he was a kid, he wanted me to coach his team. Now, this was a big thing for him to ask because daddy don't know sports. I did not grow up playing sports. I, I don't know. I, I, I never did it. My dad never did sports. I, I could tell you when, when guys were quoting like baseball stats and talking about football players, I, I was asking them if they saw Stevie Ray Vaughan play on Austin City Limits. You know, I just, I, that's, that's the world that I lived in. I, I was a music guy and, I, and you could be both. This guy was not. And so my son asked me uh, if he could play soccer and then he asked me to coach his soccer team. And I think, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? But of course I want to do it, buddy. And I start, I start learning everything that I can about soccer. I'm reading books. I'm watching videos. I'm trying to kick a ball around in my backyard. I, I take it out to the field. I'm, like, I'm, I'm seriously, I'm trying to do this. I get certified, and I start coaching soccer here in Folsom. This was quite a few years ago. And... Um, I'll guarantee you that my first U8 team, the moment we got on the field, they knew way more, infinitely more than I did about soccer. Uh, but I, I knew one thing for sure. I, I wanted them to win. Like, I, I wanted, not just for my sake, for their, for their sake. I mean, I wasn't one of those guys that needed, you know, I didn't want to live vicariously through them. I'm not one of those parents you wanted to punch in the teeth when they're screaming on the sidelines. I wasn't that guy, but, but I was intense about it because I wanted them to win. It's fun to win. And I remember one day we were out uh, playing soccer, and we are slaying it. We are killing the other team. We are so far ahead, it's ridiculous, and I'm so happy. Like, we have six or eight goals beyond them under our belt, and I'm just, I'm jumping up and down. I'm totally giddy. I'm so excited, and the coach across the field is angry, (laughs) and his eyes are burning holes through my skull. And, and he comes across the field. He stumps, which you're not supposed to do. You know this. If you coach or have anything to do with soccer, he walks right across the field and he puts his finger in my face and he said, what in the world are you doing? And I said, winning, bro. <laughs> That's what we're doing. <laughs> this is fantastic. And he said, you can't do this. 
So what do you mean we can't do this? And he said, don't you know about the mercy rule? I said, the what? (laughs) He said, you can't get this far ahead when you play soccer. You have to take out your first string players. You have to put in the weaker players so you can give us a chance. And I was like, oh my goodness, the next thing you're going to tell me is we're going to give every kid a trophy at the end of the season. And and I just don't get it. And you didn't want to mess with me this day, by the way, because I had a vasectomy three days earlier, and I shouldn't have been on the field that day, which is a story for a different time and probably over coffee. But I said, okay, man, you got it. You got it. I'm going to take that. And I'm trying to be really careful about this because I don't want to communicate to the the lesser of the players, right, that, hey, guys, this is your shot. We're so far ahead. We're going to take off the good guys now, and we're going to put out the lousy players. Like, here you go. You ready to have your shot? No. I didn't want to communicate that, so I'm trying to be, man, you guys are doing so good. It's time to give you guys a chance. And I put them in there, and they kill it. I mean, they just keep putting goals in. Like my worst wobbly, weebles wobble, but they don't fall down players are out there and they are putting the ball in the net time and time again. And the coach is so angry. And he comes stopping across the field again. And he looks at me and he says, seriously, man, I thought we talked about this. I said, listen, can we pull it over here for a second? And I'm talking quietly. I go, they're my worst players. Like, seriously, I don't, I don't know what to do. What do you want me to do? You want to fold the game? What do you want to do? I, and he's just so angry, and he says, well, do this for me. He says, you know, I, I wish that you would stop, you know, hurling insults at us across the field. I wish that you would stop your, your foul language. And I said, what? And he said, seriously, man, it's making my blood boil. I can't believe you're a pastor. Watch your language. And I said, dude, there is no unwholesome talk coming out of my mouth right now on the field. Not that I'm beyond that, but seriously, I what do you think I said? And then I thought, ding. There was a player on our team. His name is Ash. And Ash um, was out there killing it on the front line. I mean, he, he went to battle. And I was so proud of Ash. I was so proud of him because he didn't do this all the time. And I am jumping up and down, screaming, kick Ash. Kick Ash! Over and over. But I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of him, right? And I was like, oh, bro, let me tell you what's going on here, man. I'm so sorry. You heard this. I said this. Okay, we're all, we're all squared away. <laughs> when I watched that kid who wasn't the right size and didn't have the right frame and didn't have the right, you know, innate skills and ability and wasn't a sports kid, you know, out of the womb like some people are, I was like, that's me. And quite frankly, that's me in life. And maybe you feel like Ash. I don't have the right thing. I don't have the right thing to make this happen. And that's the beauty about the victory that God is talking about and that he offers you and I is that we're all weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. You know, we're, we're all that kid on the field, and he is screaming on the sidelines, more than conquerors, more than conquerors, 
more than conquerors. He wants us to experience a victory that, does it happen all of the time? No. Remember that little speed bump in the passage that we talked about where he said, for your sake we face death all day long, we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered? That's a quote out of Psalm 44. And in that Psalm, the people in that Psalm are saying, look it, we're doing everything right, God. Why are things not going our way? We're doing everything right. Are you sleeping? Have you forgotten us? Go back and read that psalm. It's amazing. And I think it's so beautiful that Paul, in the middle of this this part here, he says, look, uh, remember this time? Like, you you experience this victory, and at the same time, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Sometimes it's going to feel like God is not there. But remember these words. He is. He is. And you can experience a victory that you didn't think would happen for you. And this kind of victory makes you want to break out and sing. This kind of victory demands some kind of a response. What shall we say then? What shall we do then? Paul is saying. I wonder what that woman did when Jesus, when Jesus looked at her and said, I don't condemn you. I, I'll bet you she went and told all of her friends that story. Who's not going to tell her friends that story for the rest of her life? Maybe she's like the woman in John chapter 4 at the well that Jesus is talking to. And after Jesus talks to her, she runs throughout the town. She says, come and meet a man who's told me everything I've ever done. It demands a response. And this is what, this is what worship is. It's, it's responding to what God is doing. Uh, worship isn't simply music. It's one of the ways that we worship is through music. But this response by, by telling our story and, and this response by being in prayer and this response by uh, reading scripture and, and meditating and, and this response by serving one another and this response by being in relationship and connection with one another and this response in giving away things that we have, these are the things when we practice that we, that we, we find victory in these things. It makes me want to sing. Have you ever heard the song, if you, if you have been around the church for a while, maybe you've heard the song, Victory in Jesus, it's an old hymn. Uh, if not, I'll, I'll tell you a story that it doesn't matter if you know it or not. Uh, but uh, years ago, I was playing music in the church, and, and this sweet uh, little old lady came up to me, and she said, why do you kids always have to play the loud rock and roll? Why don't you play the old hymns? You know, it was one of, why I oughta, it was one of those kinds of things. She said, why, and I said, oh, I love the old hymns. I love them. I really do, you know. I don't think they're totally appropriate for our context all the time for, for high school kids, which is what I was doing this, at that time, but, but I love them. And she said, oh, yeah, she tried to trap me. She's just like, what's one of your favorite hymns? And I said, one of my favorite hymns is Victory in Jesus. I, I love it. It's got this bluesy rock kind of thing going with it. And she said, what? It's not bluesy rock, you know. I thought she was going to pass out. And she started singing it to me. Jesus, right? And I was like, I don't know, but when I hear that song, I hear, you know, oh, victory in Jesus, you know, it's like, I hear it, I hear it as a, it, yeah, it's a blues song. I hear myself singing it out loud with some, with some verve, with some energy. I don't picture myself carrying a parasol and walking around the duck pond. Like, I didn't say that to her. That would have been mean. But, you know, that's what I was thinking. It, it demands, like, some kind of a response. That doesn't mean we can't sing mellow, reflective songs. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this, that 
that he is talking about, it demands some kind of a, a big response from us. We're going to try something. Why don't you stand up for a second, if you would, indulge me. Um, Oh, yeah, this is happening. Uh, this might be a little bit campy. It's okay. We're going to try it on because the point is that we want to remember this forever because I need reminders uh, throughout my life. So we're going to go back and we're going to look at a, a part of this scripture here. And you have a role in this play that's going to unfold before us right now, before our very eyes. Your role, your answer is no. That's your line. Think you could do it? Yes. And what's your line? Okay, here we go. Let's put it up there. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither death nor life, that's anything that's happened in the past, anything that's going to happen in the future. That's the things that surprise you. That's the things that take you down. That's the things that you wish didn't happen to you. That's the do-overs that you wish you could have. Is any of that going to separate you from the love of God? That was good. Angels or demons, any kind of a messenger, the good ones, the bad ones, is that going to separate you from the love of God? The present or the future, anything that's happening right now, anything that's happening in the past, anything you've done, anything you've thought, anything that you're worried might happen later on, is that going to separate you from the love of God? Any powers, no matter who's in office, if it's a man, if it's a woman, if you wish that nobody was in office, if you wish you could have a big do-over, no matter what happens in the future, is that going to separate you from the love of God? Height or depth, is that going to separate you? Is there any possible thing in all of creation that's going to separate you from the love of God? Okay. Go ahead and have a seat. Go ahead and have a seat. I really do think that that's how we're supposed to hear these words from Paul. It's a big deal. The victory is a real thing. Hope is a real thing. I've seen it firsthand. I've I've held the hands of people who are dying, who have had rough lives, who have destroyed their bodies, who are in in the throes of like a, a real painful death, who have the name of Jesus on their lips. And it is, it is the most holy intimate moment that you could possibly imagine. I go, when I go, I, I, I want Jesus to be on my lips. I, I want it to be like that. I have a friend that when, when he was on his deathbed, another friend was, was visiting him and uh, he did, hadn't sp- spoken. He was, he was in a coma for, for weeks and right before he died, he sat straight up in bed And he reached his arms up and he said, glory, glory. And then he died. I want to go like that. Who doesn't want to go like that? Oh, my goodness, right? Listen, I've been in in groups with people meeting in my home over the years and in small groups, which I highly recommend you get into one. But by the way, at the end of the month, we have a... uh, We have a dessert uh, to introduce you to all of the grow groups that are happening around here. I've seen victory happen in relationship in small groups where we're talking about what Jesus is doing and how he fixes things that has blown my mind. People that hate one another reconciled to one another. I've seen fathers and daughters who hate one another begin a a life of getting to know one another again and falling in love with one another. It's the most precious thing in the world. Does Does that kind of victory happen all the time? I said we'd be honest. No. Like you might be experiencing something contrary to that right now, but I believe, I'm convinced, like Paul says, that the victory is available 
that it can happen, that nothing is beyond God's reach of grace and mercy and love and victory. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, when he, uh, there's a spot in Scripture where he's writing a letter to the Galatians, and he says, it's this weird little speed bump in the passage where he says, see these large letters that I write with my own hand. And, and, and then he just goes on to say whatever he was saying. And, and people have read that over the years and, and speculated, why, why would Paul say that? Why, why did he write the original letter with, with large letters? And some have said, well, maybe he had a problem with his eyes. Uh, you know, and so he had to write big so he could see what he was even writing to people, and I totally get that. But I was talking with a friend who said, hey, John, remember that, that passage uh, where Paul talks about how they tried to take his life? That he actually had been stoned at, at different points in his life. Um, that sounded funny. Uh, they had tried to take his life. <laughs> Sorry, I just caught myself. Paul did not have his card. Uh, anyway... <laughs> Can we take that back and not put that on the internet? Anyway, um, they tried to take Paul's life. They left him for dead outside the city. They thought they had taken his life. Now, so my friend says to me, all right, so imagine in, in, in the ancient world that, that they're trying to take your life by stoning. How do you defend yourself? I said, well, what do you mean? He said, have you ever fallen off your bike? Oh, yeah, this guy knows falling off bikes real well. Yeah, of course. He said, well, what happens when you fly off a jump and you're just about to bite it? I said, I don't know. I'm flying off. And he said, yeah, wait, hold on a second. Stop. Hold that position. Where are your hands right now? They're out in front of me trying to catch my fall is where they are. He said, so imagine that stones are coming at you. How are you going to defend yourself? Well, you're, you're using your hands. You're, you're, you're trying to stop that. He said, can you imagine Paul maybe towards the end of his life after he had been beat up, a- after they tried to take his life, what his hands must have looked like? And that guy is maybe saying, see these letters that I write, these large letters with my hands, with my very own hands. That guy, when he talks about victory, when he says victory is available and somebody's gone through that kind of a thing, I listen. I believe with everything inside of me that, that the Bible means it when it says that the word of God is, is living and active, that it changes us, that it does something to us. I've seen victory time and time again, and I think victory is absolutely available for every single one of us. Sometimes it com- doesn't come in the dose that we want it immediately, Right? We want the 32-ouncer right away, and, and we don't get it. But tiny surrender after tiny surrender leads to victory after victory. And it's a good thing. It's worth shouting about. It's worth singing about. All right. Uh, for everybody in the family room, uh, you guys are going to do something special over there. We are, too. I'm going to turn it over to Steve over there, uh, and he's got some time to spend with you. For everybody here, uh, we, a few weeks ago, we put canvases all the way around the room, and on these canvases, we, we painted words uh, that, 
uh, uh, that were condemning words, that made us feel stuck, that made us feel crippled, that made us feel uh, like uh, we were in shackles, we couldn't move forward. We painted these words of condemnation on these canvases. And then it was a beautiful moment. We, we, we took some white paint and we rolled over those canvases as a picture that God does not want us to live with condemnation. It was, it was amazing. But we started thinking after we did that, you know what, that's not the end of the story though. We know the end of the story, and the end of the story is, is victory. So God doesn't just leave things clean, but he starts to take the ugliness, and he starts to make it beautiful. He starts to take what's broken, and he starts to fix it. And this is what he does time and time again. So today, we pull those canvases back out. And not only were they painted over white, but now they're painted with brilliant colors, and there's more paint out there. And we want to go on those same canvases, and we want to paint words of victory words of promise, it, it, memories where, where God has pulled us out of the muck. And if you're here today and you feel like, you know what, I, I only wish I could experience that kind of victory, um, I absolutely believe that you can, that Jesus is offering that. So make this day maybe a time that's a, a marker in the sand for you, and you, you go paint a word that you want to experience and you commit to that, and you ask Jesus to do those things. And if you have any questions about that, if you don't know uh, Jesus, if you want to start a life with Jesus, I will, we, I will meet personally with any single one of you. I, I will rearrange my schedule as best as I can to meet with you, to talk about that. Any one of us on staff would. Because we believe it. We're not playing church. God offers victory. All right, so these guys are going to play, and we're going to take the next few minutes and give you guys freedom to move around the room. Uh, thank you so much. I love you. I love this passage. This has been a good ride through this. Let's spend some time with God and continue to worship him.